Would you please join me as I pray? I pray, Father, that even as we hear those words, this is the word of the Lord, that there would be sobriety and anticipation in our hearts. We get to draw near and listen to your voice. I pray that we would be a people that are attentive and that as a result of hearing from you that you would be strengthening the saints. Brothers and sisters who have placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that they in these moments would feel their roots sinking deep down into your heart in such a way that they will remain strong no matter life circumstances, that they will be a people, that we will be a people who endure. And to my friends in the room who have yet to trust Jesus, I pray God that you would be at work in them wooing, drawing their hearts to know and love you. So would you come and do what only you can do by the power of your spirit as we set our gaze on this text. Come and speak to your people. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. What does it take to be standing at the end? To be faithful and to endure all the way to the final moments. It's in some ways a haunting question for me to consider that this text kind of thrusts before us because people that have trained me along the way, pastors that I listened to when I was young, books that I read, the songs that I, that I sung that were kind of formed my faith, pastors, authors, songwriters that have helped shape my faith have turned and walked away from the Lord. It's been unsettling as I think back through names and faces, people that I came to faith alongside of that are no longer claiming Jesus as their savior, people that I've sat with who have wept in response to the gospel, said yes to Jesus, I've given my life to them and they've given their lives to me, have turned and walked, walked away, like turning their back on me but more painfully and more dangerously turning their back on God and having lived through enough of that, been shaped by spiritual leaders that this has happened to, leaves me with this haunting question that Hebrews 10 is speaking to, which is, what does it take to be the sorts of men and women that are faithful to the end? Who sink their roots down deep and become oaks of righteousness that bear fruit, that have a rich harvest for generations. We wanna be the sorts of people that stand the test of time. And this week in our ongoing journey in the book of Hebrews, we're going to have, have the author of Hebrews teaching to us about what does it look like to be people of endurance. This is a pivot in this letter that we've been studying. We, we've said it's a, it's a letter that is, reads like a sermon and the author, we're not sure who it is, but we know that it's, it's a preacher pastor that has this sustained argument that he's been developing, he's been preaching, writing over us and we come to a pivot in this journey in chapter 10. He has completed his argument by the middle of this chapter. He has been laboring to help us be a people that understand that Jesus is better, lifting Jesus up and displaying him as glorious in all of his ways. He has said he's better than the angels and invited us to set our minds on him, saying that if we do, we will experience rest for our souls. The reason, he says in chapters five through 10, which we've been studying for the last kind of six weeks or so, is he's, he's actually been saying 
He's better than the great high priest. He is the priest after the order of Melchizedek who's opened the way to God. He is the better sacrifice. He has, as we said last week on Easter Sunday, opened up the way to God's very presence in the Holy of Holies. All of this has been accomplished in Jesus. The better priest, the better sacrifice, better than the angels, better than all. He has opened up all of God's riches to you and to me. It's all available. And he comes to the conclusion of this argument in verse 18. He's he's completed in verse 18. In 19, he's going to say, therefore. And we're gonna study this first section of the therefores. He starts to say, so what does it matter if God has really opened up the way wide into his very heart for you to live in a heavenly reality that starts today? It doesn't wait for someday after this world, but he's going, it's open to you now then what do we do in response? In verses 19 through the end of this chapter, he's going to call us to be the sorts of people that endure to the end, and he's gonna tell us how. How to be the sorts of people that don't just start excitedly and then fall away, but the sorts of people that sink our roots down deep and experience a rich, fruitful life until the end. So, we're going to plunge in with hopes that as we get to the pivot in this journey that we are going to receive what the author has to say about this is how we ought to live in response to this grand news that Jesus is better. The first word that he's going to commend to us, the first crucial reality that has to be placed in place in our souls if we're going to respond to this news rightly and be prepared to endure to the end is this, intimacy. He's calling us to a near connection to this God who has made his very heart available to us. I want you to see it as he turns the corner in verses 19 through 22 of chapter 10 and pay attention to this idea that he's calling these people. He's saying, if the way to God is open, then draw near. Stay really close to him. Hear it in verses 19 through 22. It says this, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. You hear in verses 19 through 21, he is is actually summarizing all that's happened in the previous five chapters and in the previous 18 verses. He's just saying, okay, so we're all on the same page. Jesus is the high priest. You have confidence to enter in. The way to God is opened. And then he gives the first command. This is the so what. Let us draw near. Get as close as possible. It's open to you. Come on in. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's saying, don't stay distant. If God has gone to great lengths to open the way into his very heart, don't don't hover outside. He's speaking to some first century Jewish Christians that they've considered their relationship with God as we've rehearsed over the last several weeks around the temple. That, and the temple, the, the people would come into the courtyards to, to worship, but they would trust that the priests are the one that go in to experience God's presence. And of the priests, it's only the high priest that gets to go into the, the cube that we talked about last week, God's very presence in the Holy of Holies. And what he's saying is, no, no, no. You think you have to hover outside while the others experience the real, tangible presence of God inside. He's going, the good news in Jesus is that you get to go all the way in. 
You have access to those places. Are you going to take hold of it? One of our favorite television shows at the Morris House is College Game Day. Uh, We love Saturday mornings at the Morris House during college football season. Kirk Herbstreet and the boys are on early morning. This is how we spend our Saturdays. So we're always looking forward in the off season to August, like that excitement of the first week when college football is back. And one of our favorite stories that they did this last year was on a, on a UTSA student. Maybe you heard the story. Uh, they did a special in college game day of a UTSA student that had never been to a Texas A&M game, but he went to his first home game at Kyle Field. And he went, it was the, it was the game where uh, A&M stunned Alabama in a big victory a couple of seasons ago. And, and he went and he was out front tailgating with some friends. He was having a drink at the tailgate, getting to know some people. And he found on the ground a little badge that said VIP. So he bent down and he put it on. He's like, I wonder what I could do with this. So he went to the gate of Kyle Field and he held it up and just kept walking. And they're like, yeah, come on in, come on in. And so this guy walks in, he ends up standing just off of the field during the game. These amazing seats getting to watch the game unfold right there. And if you guys watched the game, it was a stunning victory, this field goal, just as the game is about to end, the people flood the field. He is on the field with all the people, like, this is amazing, how did I end up here? And, And everybody's celebrating, and they finally get to the point where they're ushering the players off the field back into the locker room. And he's like, I'm going to see if I can keep going with this thing. And so as the players, he gets behind the players and just starts walking with his head down. He keeps holding it up and he gets to the checkpoint and he's like, I'm, I'm supposed to go with them. And they're like, all right, come on. He ends up in the locker room celebrating with the players after the game. And he posts it all on social media, which is how it became viral, why he ended up on college game day. This is one of the photos. This is him and... This is him and Jimbo Fisher. This guy's never been to Texas A&M. He's not a student, not an athlete. He's a UTSA student that found a VIP pass, taking selfies with Jimbo Fisher. And then this next picture, this one's my favorite. This is, this is Jimbo at the end of the game. He's all hoarse, telling the team, you guys did great, this is me. This is the, and here's the guy. It's only the football team and Jimbo and this guy. And as I was... You know, we love this story. We talk about it all the time. At one point, at one of the checkpoints, he says that he pretended he didn't speak English. And he said, I'm a kicker. I am a kicker. And the guy was like, all right, come on. Uh, He just ended up with his VIP pass. And as I think about this picture, that guy sitting in that space, there's this reality that his credentials were not legitimate. But, you know, he had this thing around his neck and it ended up that he's right there in the center of all the action. The book of Hebrews has been laboring for chapters to convince us in Jesus, like what has been placed around your neck is you've got, you've got full access. You don't have to hang out outside ever again. He's going, God's going to my very heart where all the action is. Yet so many of us live our lives, like some of you have said yes to Jesus, and you come and you kind of do the perfunctory religious thing of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Jesus, that's cool. But like as far as expectant the power of God to show up and to fill you, like to experience a filling of the Holy Spirit, being used by God, hearing from God, being the hands and the feet and the voice of God, you assume that's for someone else. 
to which the author of Hebrews is going, look, look at the access you've been given. You get to live fully alive in God. It's all yours, all the riches of God. His heart is yours. And he says, you've been sprinkled clean. Your conscience is clean. The idea is that at each of the checkpoints, as we get to lean in and think, maybe, just maybe, God's inviting me into all of the wild adventure of being full in his heart. There's a certain sense in which our guilty conscience stops us at the door and we go, well, I don't, like me? I get to live a life like the one I I read about in the book of Acts that I've heard about and people that are really used powerfully by God. I think, well, not me. I know my story, my background. Did you hear it? He's, he's saying, no, 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 you've got access because you've been, in verse 22, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. He's going, the blood of Christ cleanses you. The badge at each checkpoint is you're like, no, 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 I get the full heart of God. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I'm new in him. And it says, washed with pure water. This is a statement about baptism. The idea being that those of you who've been baptized into the good news of Jesus, that it becomes like a marriage ceremony, that you've been plunged under the waters and raised up as the community affirms your confession of faith, such that at every checkpoint afterwards, you're going, I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I aligned publicly with Jesus. I recall my baptism. I remember it. I have been made whole and I have full access. And so the question is, will you draw near? The first command after the weight of this argument, chapters and chapters on top of one another, he says, okay, okay, okay. So here's the punchline. Will you draw near? Are you gonna be satisfied with hovering outside when he's going, listen, it's all yours. Are you really going to live this kind of like thinly religious experience hanging on the outside? Are you gonna hold up your badge and go, the very heart of God, it's my home and I'm going there. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus, washed by these waters, I have been made new and I'm welcomed in. The first command at the conclusion of this sustained argument is draw near. You get to be intimate with God. You get to be before his face daily it's available to you. He says, draw near with this outrageous intimacy. But then he follows up by saying, and by the way, this intimacy, it's not just any kind of intimacy. It's an unwavering intimacy, an unbending intimacy, the sort of thing that will stand up even in the midst of tough circumstances. This is the way he says it in verse 23. Let me read it for you. Let us hold fast. This is the second let us, the second command. He's saying, hold on tight, hold fast. What are we holding fast to? The confession of our hope without wavering. That word for wavering, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament and it means to to bend or to lean. And so it's saying without any bending or leaning or crumpling, it doesn't crumple under the weight of life because it's holding fast to its hope. For he who promised is faithful. You see, right on the heels of saying, okay, draw near in full faith. Look back at the blood of Jesus. Look back at your baptism. You get the heart of God. He then recognizes, but there's going to be some moments where you have to hold fast to future promises. He's talking about draw near by faith, hold fast by hope. 
Look back and know that you're welcomed into God's presence. Look forward and know that he's never gonna let go of you. Hold on to the promises of your future. And I think the reason he follows up with the call to intimacy by by looking back to what he's done, he immediately follows up by saying, and hold fast to the promises. I think this is such an honest and faithful pastoral move. In essence, what he is admitting is this. It's really hard. It's really hard to remain faithful in the midst of a broken world. That's, that's in essence what he's admitting. He's going, so you have full access, but sometimes you're going to have to cling to the promises of God because you're going to look around at your current circumstances and be tempted to think none of it's true. You're going to look around at what's happening in this moment. You're going, no, no, I know Jesus died for me. I know I was baptized, and so I'm drawing near. But in the midst of these moments, all of a sudden we're going, but where is he now? And he's going, in those moments, you're going to have to cling to your hope of the promises because he's faithful. Can we just admit it? That sometimes it's really hard? Like fear and anxiety are crouching at the door trying to convince you that your current circumstances that God must have forgotten about you? Many of you know the journey that Ashley and I are on, and we, we know a lot of people that have really suffered, and, and I, I wouldn't count us in that category. We have like garden variety suffering. You know, everybody suffers. We live in a broken world, but our, our current set of it, many of you know, you've prayed for us, you've helped sustain us, and just by way of testimony and by, by saying thank you for the ways that you've been a blessing to us, I think it's, it's helpful to note that we, you know, we... Um, We've experienced some loss. We, we prayed for a long time. We've got these three precious boys and um, we were praying that God would allow us to be the parents of a little girl. We've prayed that for years. And after our first two sons were born, we got pregnant with a little girl that we lost in the second trimester. It was a really sad loss. We got pregnant again. It was a little boy, our little Judah, that we rejoice in. We're so grateful for him. And then we got pregnant two more times. Both little girls, both lost in the second trimester very painfully. And that kind of sadness, the way, like the picking at the scab at moments, you just in, in current circumstances going, I know Jesus loves us. I know he died for us. But in this moment, like, God, where are you? And in those moments, it's like, hold fast to future promises. Hold fast to what he said to be true. And we've been in those moments. And as many of you know, we got pregnant again. My wife, in like a really step of courageous faith, gets pregnant a seventh time our little cruise that we've welcomed in four months ago, a little boy born with special needs that many of you have prayed for, that we adore. But I'll tell you, there's moments in tending to this little one where the circumstances want to convince you of something else. That like God doesn't really care about our particular concerns or maybe he's not involved. Um, because of Cruz's feeding schedule and different things that come with some of his physical concerns. Nights can be really hard. Last night was a tough one. My wife literally pulled an all-nighter to help me sleep so that I could serve this body. Maybe you can give her a hug and say thank you sometime. Um, I literally was getting out of bed at five as she was getting into bed at five because all night Cruz couldn't, couldn't rest because of his breathing and his eating. And uh, there's these moments there's these moments, right? Like on Monday night, I was trying to help her recoup after Easter weekend to get her rest. So I was the one on the night shift. And I was up with this boy walking in my house and I knew my alarm clock was going off early. I knew I had a full day and it's one of those where anxiety and fear can kind of 
They're just waiting at the door. And I'm like, is this the rest of our life? Like managing specialists and therapists and like, I had this sinking feeling for a moment, you know? And then the beauty of meditating on this moment, I was like, this is my life. This is my life. It's three in the morning, I'm walking, and I was like, it went from a sad statement to like a joyful statement. I was like, no, this, this is my life. And by the way, what the text has told me is that I have full access to the heart of God now. Not like someday when all the sadness are, is over, everything's fine, but like right this moment. And so I started praying about that and rehearsing the promises of God that he makes all of the sad things are gonna come untrue, that he's gonna work every broken thing, every sad thing for the good of those who love him, and that he's working his character into his people in the most unexpected of circumstances. And I started to praise him for this little boy and all the ways that I'm gonna experience his character through him. And by about 3.30, I felt like I was in the holy of holies. I was like, I don't wanna go to sleep. Like me and God and Cruz, I'm never getting these moments back. Someday he's going to sleep at night and I'm going to think if only we could go to the Holy of Holies at 4 a.m. You know, like, uh, I experienced this moment of like, I knew the blood of Jesus cleansed me. I knew I've been washed in the waters of baptism, but my circumstances were beckoning me towards fear and anxiety. And I reached out and just in my ever kind of Barely hanging on faith, I cling to the promises of God. And all of a sudden it was like, oh Jesus, you've purchased real joy and life for me in the moment. You see, he's saying, will you draw near and experience intimacy with me and will you do it by holding fast to the promises of God even when your circumstances say otherwise? And then beautifully, he pushes it a half step further, which is the step that we have so desperately needed in this season. He says it's not just intimacy, and it's not just unyielding intimacy, it's communal unyielding intimacy. Because the truth is, some days, I can't get back to this. Some days, we try to hold fast to the promises, but they just feel so slippery. And he's going, by the way, you're gonna need each other to do this work properly. You're going to need the community. If you're going to endure to the end, you have to draw near to the presence of God. You have to be unyielding, holding to his promises. You look back, you look forward, but then you need to look around at the people around you. This is the way he says it in the text. Look with me at 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the third let us. Not just let us draw near, not just let us hold fast, but let us consider how to stir one another up. He's literally saying, would you sit and consider your community. Think about your house church. Let your, your mind's eye run around the room in the house church, and what he's saying is, what would it look like for you to stop and to think about them? And think, what's it like for, for them to be them right now? And how might I stir them up to love God more? Because, in fact, we all need each other to do that work. Ashley and I have been so carried along by your love and your prayers in this season. We've had so many people that have looked at us and I, 
I can tell that what they're saying as they ask and they pray and they serve is we have considered you. We've thought about you, what it's like to be you right now. And we just wanted to bring this meal, encourage in this way. And I just need to say thank you because on the days where we struggle to do this work of holding fast, the community is holding us up. And community has to be a priority before the system is rocking, before the wind is blowing. We've got to actually be putting our roots down into community. And can we all just admit that sometimes it's kind of cumbersome? Sometimes it's kind of exhausting. We've had more Sundays. Like Sundays are a long day for us. They start early for me. We've got a lot going on with the kids and we're in a Sunday house church and there's always this moment at like 3.30 p.m. on Sunday afternoon where it's like, I know this matters. I know this matters. Trying to get the kids settled, get everything. It's, It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. And it's always beforehand that I have to talk myself into it. Never when I'm with the community. It's, It's this idea that when we choose community and we prioritize it, what we begin to find is as our roots grow down deep into the soil of God's heart together, we are strengthened and prepared for when the wind comes, when the waves come, when everything feels like it's rocking. Now the community is able to do this work. You see, he's painting a picture for how do we endure to the end. And the struggle, the reason that so many fall away is because they start to disconnect from community and, and in the moments of challenge, all of a sudden the promises of God feel slippery and they're no longer near to the presence of God. And as a result, they're in a really dangerous position. And it's the position that he notes right after this. Because what he's saying is where there's not communal, unyielding intimacy, there's tremendous danger. And he issues a warning he issues a warning in the verses that follow, verse 26 and following. I want to I read these verses for us. I just want you to hear the warning nature right on the heels of it. He says this, for if we go on sinning deliberately. Now this, this is a phrase that is borrowing from kind of an Old Testament understanding of what would be a high-handed sin. This is a fist raised to God going, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you've called me to. I know better. I'm going to do as I please sinning deliberately, high-handedly. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, only a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? has profaned the blood of the covenant. That means treated the blood like it wasn't really precious or powerful. By which he has been sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right on the heels of mentioning the community, he's warning, he's saying, listen, I want you to endure to the end. There is a risk baked in that where you don't draw near and hold fast and stir one another up, where you let go of those commitments, you are pushed out in such a way that your heart can grow cold towards the things of God. I've seen it happen too many times, friends. I want this warning to ring out in such a way that we would say, not us. We're gonna draw near to God's face. We're gonna hold to his promises and we're gonna call one another to it because what we realize is this. We need one another because where we draw, 
where we grow distant and the promises of God start to ring hollow and we don't have community to hold us, we start to have a heart that sins deliberately towards God. Now, it may be that when you hear this, you go, is that me? I hope that's not me. I've been battling sin in these different places and ways. Listen, if you... If you've been wrestling with sin over time and it's the sort of sin that you're confessing to community, that you're convicted of, and that you're pleading the blood of Jesus over, but, but you still kind of struggle with it, it's an ongoing reality. Listen, that is the journey of faith. That's what it means to be made alive in Jesus but not yet be home with him. That's not what he's talking about. If you're worried that this might be you, it's not you. Because the person that he's talking about here is a person that is deliberately saying, I don't want what you have, God. What he is saying is it could be you. It could be you if you don't draw near, hold fast, and stir one another up. Because if you distance yourself, it will reveal that the faith that has been present wasn't the genuine article, because the genuine article will endure to the end, he says at the conclusion. And so, Communal, unwavering intimacy is the path towards endurance to the future, and we need to recognize that there's a strong warning for those that don't live into it. And then beautifully, he turns the corner and finishes with a strong word of encouragement at the conclusion, and I'd like to finish in the same place together. In verses 32 through 39, he in essence says, listen, friends, this isn't you. Remember Remember what God has done in you. Hear it as he says in verse 32 and following. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. For yea, a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." He finishes by looking at this community that he's loving and coaching about what it looks like to endure to the end. And he goes, listen, listen, you're not the sort of people who shrink back. You're not shrink backers. That's not who you are. He says, remember, remember the moments where you came alive in Jesus? Friends, do you remember? Do you remember the taste of grace on the front end when all of a sudden you realize your sin been paid for and you're cleansed? Do you remember the weight lifted and the experience of all of a sudden it's like your heart was bursting with love for the whole world because you're like, I've been made new. I'm alive. Do you remember the waters of baptism? Do you remember when you were marked out? He's going, look back on that. Cling to that. Draw near to the face of God. It's available to you. Hold fast to his promises. Lock in with community. Remember where you've been. He has you. He's saying, don't forget your first love. Jesus truly has rescued you. And to some of you in the room, as I say all those things, you go, I don't remember because I've never had those days. 
They're available to you. And Jesus, your first days are available to you. To say yes to him and to be welcomed in as he says, come and taste my heart, my forgiveness, my love. My blood will cleanse you. You can enter the waters of baptism. You can experience a whole new life. Come and be with me. You will be secure forever in my heart. I will satisfy all of your desires. You'll be home. And as we're the sorts of people that look at Jesus crucified and resurrected, saying you have ripped open the presence of God, you've made it available to us, we want to be the sorts of people like oaks of righteousness. Oh, that God would make Seven Mile Road a grove of oaks. Men and women who sink our roots down into his presence, remembering what he has done for us as we draw near, holding fast to his promises stirring one another up towards love and good works as we stay there in communal, unwavering intimacy. We will be the sorts of people that stand the test of time, that endure to the end for his glory and our joy. Let me pray for us. Ah, so God, where faith is wavering, where knees have grown weak and weary, would you strengthen the saints? I believe I have friends in the room right now that have said yes to Jesus, but have always just hovered on the edges, thinking the real experience of being used by God and filled and like being welcomed into the celebration, uh, right into the heart of what you're doing. They just think that's for someone else. I pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, that person, that man, that woman would begin to realize, would begin to believe, maybe, just maybe, God's got more for me. I pray for people in the room that have yet to taste the freedom and the grace of Jesus, that they would say yes to you today, Jesus, as their Lord, their King, and their Savior. And I pray that we would be the sorts of family all together that experience profound, communal, unwavering intimacy in you. Jesus, you paid a great price to give us that gift. So we say thank you even as we receive it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.